Hello and welcome to another episode of the Copcast podcast. Coming to you after Chelsea won, Liverpool won. I've got Jay Reid in Liverpool, I've got Andy Bell in, I presume, Liverpool, and I've got uh, Chief in, I presume, Donegal. Are my presumptions correct, fellas? Yes. Close enough. All right, okay, we'll yeah. take that, take it as a win. Um, all right, let's kick off. Chelsea. <coughs> um, yeah, Jay, we go in. It's uh, it, it's not your right <laughs> first game of the season, but they're a team that you know are, are weird, and their manager who's like quite methodical and and pragmatic and and sensible um, is working for a guy who's an absolute lunatic. So it's kind of intriguing to see how that plays out on the pitch. Um, but he he seems to cobble together a side that are vaguely coherent. Um, I think Gallagher does a decent job playing as, as the second midfielder. Fernandez is dead good. The lad up front, Michael Jackson's brother, he's again puts a decent shift in and and you get what you need from the guys in behind. And um yeah, I think much like us, they're far from a complete side. But I think what what I'd like to start with is one one away to Stamford Bridge at any time of any season is not a bad result. So we can't really look at that and be too concerned in that regard, can we? No, no. I think in, you might look back on this result in two, three months' time and say that was a good point, like a, a very good point, because Chelsea, it could be anything. They, we see in last season, they were a car crash, but then, you know, in recent years, they've, you know, cobbled the way down to a European Cup and, they can be a decent side. They've actually got a manager this season rather than a fellow who's masquerading as a manager in Frank Lampard or a lad who's clearly not ready for the role at a big club like uh, Harry Potter's uncle. Um, so, you know, they've, they've got half a shot. The lads they've brought in, I couldn't tell you the thing about them because they bring that many in. They've turned the squad over like so fast. You, you'd be a nightmare if you were the Chelsea kit man. The amount of names he's probably got a print on shirts. But, I looked at that team and because I didn't know the names and you knew our team and you think there's a chance here for us and going off what we've seen in pre-season, our form guide was, well, we can score and create chances, but we're very open at the back and through the form, that's pretty much how the game panned out. But in in the whole concept of things, then a, a draw was, you know, the obvious result. I think that's seven in a spin now with Chelsea. Um but there was a few positives there, a few obvious glaring holes slash negatives, things to be worked on. But yeah, I suppose first game of the season away from home to one of the nominal was the top seven now because Newcastle have bought the way into it. Big clubs, um, you would take that all like it's pretty much a point on, on the road and you know the 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 the, the way we set up I think was was always just going to be the way the game panned out. So you can't really complain. You'd you'd like to have took three points, but then, you know, on, on the whole balance of 90 minutes, I think a draw was the fair result. Yeah, team, it's an interesting 11 from us as well. Um, I think probably the, the big question mark is is the midfield three. You know, you expect McAllister and Spotsider to play. Gakpo being the third midfielder, I'm not sure... 
I'm just not sure for a game like that, that 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 was the way to go. Surprised myself that Curtis Jones didn't start. But, you know, I think given the first half hour, it it kind of seemed to work. Yeah, I mean, you can sort of see why, but you can't see why uh, Klopp wanted to get the four forwards on the pitch. And, there's, you know, he has been um, used there a little bit in pre-season. We saw him even there at times uh, in-game at the end of last season. So it's not it's not a, you know, it's not a massive curveball to, to put Gakpo in there. Um, and I think there were, were were moments in the in the first half an hour where where it did sort of click. And there's that one in particular where maybe he should have just gone through and scored, uh, or had taken a shot on himself. But he he lays it back to Salah, and it's a it's a poor pass. Really, it's behind Salah, and but it's the one. See, that's it's like it's like that one against Baron. <laughs> he scores, and you think you think to yourself, he should pass that, but he smashes it into the near top corner. Yeah, and. He does the opposite this time, and I I just wondered at the time when I was watching, has someone told him that's a great goal? But you probably slide that across the box. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe he just saw, maybe Salah shouts for it, and he he sees, or he just sees him out of the corner of his eye and thinks he can put him in, and and he could have, but um, he because he didn't, we all say he should have shot. If if the ball is perfect for Salah and Salah rolls it in, then you know we're saying it's it's a brilliant move. So it's one of them, but. You know, because of what happened, did happen. You know, maybe he probably could have taken it on himself. But um, yeah, it, it sort of it works initially, and and Liverpool are very much on top for the first half an hour. Um, but it then sort of begins to unravel a little bit, and Chelsea grow into the game. I think you know that has to be said. I, you know, going into that game, there were two unknown unknown sides really two big names obviously but struggled last season both and you know incomplete as we've as we've sort of um, alluded to already but two very much incomplete sides one with a new manager um as well to throw into the bargain so it was anyone's guess what was actually what it was actually going to turn out like but you know ultimately it was a, it was a very good game and both sides are probably going to get better um, as the season progresses and as new players bet in and new players arrive and so on. So, you know, all in all, to come out with a point, you're you're sort of happy. Um, the four, though, going into the next game, I, I don't know, I'm not convinced we'll see. Um, Gakpo start there again against Bournemouth. Who knows, it, it might be the game actually to do it because you're at home and, you know, you're probably going to have a lot more of the ball. Um but it'll be interesting to see what way he goes on that. But, you know, we, we have options and a couple of them didn't quite fire. And, and Gakpo and, and Jota, who we, we might come on to mention, had quite a poor, um, yeah, quite a poor, poor day by, by his standards. But um, other things did work. So, um, um, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot that will still have to iron or come out in the wash or be ironed out as we go along. But um Happy to come away without getting beaten at Stamford Bridge, basically. Yeah, Andy, the, the first half an hour is it, so good. And it's it's kind of weird. Um, people are just calling it the half an hour, but I, I kind of feel like it's more of more of what happens than the timing. It's not I don't think Chelsea feel their way into the game or, or anything like that, but that disallowed Salah goal. 
that I think now sometimes to teams almost feels like a missed penalty for both sides where one team is demoralized by the outcome and the other team is, is galvanized by it. And that it seemed to have that effect because it, you know, if that goes, if, if Salah's if Salah's runs a millisecond later, then it's two 0 And let's be honest, the way the game's going, that's game over. You know, we probably are a little bit more conservative. The manager probably makes different changes earlier, and we maybe snap them on the counter. We score a great goal early on. It really is superb. Um, but I do feel like. I don't necessarily think it's a tactical issue as to why the game shifted the way it does. I, I feel like that decision had a huge impact. And then obviously with, with the goal they score afterwards and then getting the disallowed goal. But again, they're still going out point because they finished half strong. And that makes it really difficult for us, given that, you know, we're still trying to figure out what we are. Yeah, it's 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 a mad first half, isn't it? You're right. We are absolutely dominant first thirty minutes. Like everything good's going through McAllister, Sobislai probably is the the best half hour in Liverpool shirt, including his preseason. I thought his skill in tight areas and his physicality really came to the fore in that game, and you could absolutely see why we'd signed him. Defensively, we we looked solid. You know, Chelsea did have their forays forward, but we we just looked a lot more solid generally in terms of the nitty gritty defending than we have done in a lot of preseason and you know for a lot of last season as well. So it was it was really really good. We had our chances. We we get Gakpo in as as you say, he messes it up. We we get our goal, which is it's Salah in that area, which I've I've said over and over again. I think he's one of the best I've ever seen in that little corner of the box where he just becomes the sort of the best playmaker in the world as far as I can see it's you know on Sky Sports and on the Monday Night Football they did that thing where they can go into the eyes of the player and they can see what he sees and you know only only world class players are, are seeing that pass to Luis Diaz and all Diaz needs to do is get a touch which which he does good to see Diaz getting into those areas and getting goals as well and yeah you're right the game changes on the, the offside goal I think the the analogy of the the missed penalty is a good one. I've never heard it before because if you miss a penalty, you've got the elation of of being awarded the penalty. You've got like a, what, a 70, 80% statistical chance of scoring it. And then to miss it, you know, will galvanize the other team and uh, and, and will sort of uh, will sort of harm you mentally. So, yeah, it, you know, especially because, you know, in a game like that at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea are inevitably going to have a period or... Even if they don't have a period of play, they're going to have a set piece or something which will create a chance for them, and then it's up to them to take it. And, you know, there's very little you can actually blame Liverpool for regarding the goal. You know, you could say Alisson could come out a bit quicker, but they defend the first ball well. Sobosly, um, you know, Sobosly makes a fairly decent-headed clearance, and it's just a, a sort of second ball, and it's it's shinned into the Right, so I'm end, not going to so. lie to you, Andy. Um I absolutely fucking hate that header clearance. See that header clearance to the edge of the box? I can't have it anywhere about me. It needs to be flicked away wide. And but he's what, he's if you flick it away, he's like he's basically at the front post anyway. So yeah, you know, flick it away, flick it away behind him. Heading the ball to the edge of the box is asking for trouble. And this is just my opinion. And the thing is, 
if, if you are going to flick it away to the box, you need to have guys there to challenge for the second ball. And that's a free header from the edge of the box right back into the danger zone. And, and those are the two key errors that I'm particularly disappointed about around that goal. Well, it, I, I mean, I haven't I haven't really watched it back. It didn't feel to me at the time like it was in a really in a position to sort of flick it, but, you know, maybe so. Anyway, you know, you, you are clutching at straws, and it is one of those where a minor error can lead to can lead to a major chance. That will always happen when you go to somewhere like Stamford Bridge. Um, and then, obviously, you know, they have the disallowed goal, and we sort of get galvanised. And, you know, half an hour in, you're thinking, we could be 2 or 3 nil up here, and then by half-time, you end up sort of, like, absolutely begging for half-time. Uh, sorry, yeah, just before half-time, you're absolutely begging for the whistle. So, yeah, I think when that when that second disallowed one goes in from Chelsea and gets overturned, I think both teams sort of shut up shop a little bit or a little bit more conservative. Obviously, you know, we make the Jones change second half, which makes it a little bit more of a conventional midfield. And, yeah, I'm you know, I'm fine with the point at Stamford Bridge. It's, it's one of those places which is never easy to go, no matter what situation either team's in. Yes, they'll be better in, in January or February when they've got the players settled, but also they won't have the adrenaline of a first day, which we know is a bit of a leveller for a lot of teams. So, yeah, shake hands on it and hopefully win the next two. Yeah, that's fair. Jay, I, look, I know that um, I think everything we've said so far is pretty fair, but I know you've got concerns with, you know, Robertson's performance in that left-sided kind of centre-half weird left back position and he is going to be highlighted because he's doing something very different than we've ever really seen him do before and he's way outside of his comfort zone and that is going to take him time to adapt to but I just wonder how much of what we associate with Robertson getting wrong positionally is related to what is in front of him and is he expecting somebody else to do something that they aren't doing that's exposing him? And that maybe feeds into, you know, what we really need to be doing in the transfer market. Uh, I'll caveat the part of what he's doing and whether the part that the player in front should be doing. He's Scotland captain. He's experienced. He's been there. He's seen it. He's done it. He's won it all. He should be knowledgeable and experienced enough to know when to go and when to stay, in theory. That, that's, do you know what? That's fair enough, Jay. But the other thing that I would say is, if your manager is telling you to do something, you know... Then it's on the manager. But is it on the manager or is it on the other guy that's not doing his job? That, like, th- this is kind of... I think this is the conundrum that we're in now. It's really difficult to identify what we, what he, what we think he should be doing versus what he's been instructed to do. Oh, we, we will never know. Will we really like it's 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 not gonna he's not gonna sit in an interview and say yeah Klopp's telling me to bomb up and down all day like if he's getting you know balls played in all the time behind him like Chelsea clearly targeted it we we've seen teams in the past few months target that gap behind Trent in the space where like Kanate is sort of patrolling a large area pitch but he, he's doing that very well um, and Chelsea decided that they were just going to attack. Robertson because we didn't actually have a midfielder in the left-sided role in such a, in Gapo, and we sort of had sort of a stopgap. Um, and you know they put Reese James and Sterling down there, and and, and they murdered them, especially first half when they when they got on top, they murdered them. But 
It's is it Klopp who's telling him to bomb forward? If so, that's pretty naive and leaving us very open, considering we've got no natural defensive-minded player in the middle of the park to help out with the two lads at the back, and you basically own two v two. And no matter how good we think Kanate and Virgil are, they're going to get done more often than not because there is actually quite a few decent players in the, in this league, and if. Jackson had his shooting boots on, maybe he's settled, maybe it's the first day of general, and as you mentioned, he might have had a goal or two. Um, or is it Robertson who is following natural instinct to go forward, because that's all he's done all his career, and it's it's going to be hard to rein it in and sort of say, like, you need to keep yourself in check, and is that then a fair argument, which I think is is valid to say that we need someone more defensive there if we are going to play Trent in an advanced midfield position, then we probably need a more natural defensive back three. And I don't think you're going to get that Manny Robson. That's by no means saying there's no place for him in the squad because there was a times in that game when we, we sat with a more natural back four and Trent did become a more, again, natural right back. And, and, and we're fine with that if, if the balance is fine. But we also still need a defensive body in midfield because again it's their game to to get forward we just need that shield in there you know we can come onto it shortly are, are we going to get one we, we might be but i think teams are going to look at that ability with robertson going forward and leaving a massive gaping hole at the back and let's not forget he's got a lot of miles on the clock he's not getting any younger he's not getting any faster he's going the other way and I'm not saying you know ship him out he's, he's finished and he's done but he is going to struggle to get up and down and fill that gap consistently for 90 minutes and teams will get the chances and will expose that area if we are willing to play this way so for me I think we do need a more natural defensive person there if we are going to continue to play this way or Klopp or Robertson, whoever it is, you know, making the decision to be so gung-ho and attacking need to change that because it's going to cost us more than it's probably going to win us games because we've got so much attack and talent there. We don't always need Andy Robertson bombing down the left. Chief, oh, like everything Jay says there is, is absolutely fair. Um, I think the other side of the argument is, I think, first of all, you know, it's a process. Everything's a process, and if you if you go through the season compromising your process because we don't have this player here, or because you know you need to do this if that person's not doing his job, then that kind of kind of gives that person an out, doesn't it? You know that somebody's going to cover him, so I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do, and that that breeds you know disorganisation, etc. Um, and I suppose the other aspect is if if Klopp is looking at last season's results. We're looking at, you know, predominantly games against the bottom half that really shafted us, particularly away from home. And is he thinking this is this is the area that we need to massively improve on? Because remember our results against the, the, the top sides last season are pretty decent. Yeah, we get we get banged by by City away, but I think we beat Newcastle home and away. Arsenal, you know, we should probably win both those games. Um, 
given decisions and whatever else. United we smash. Um, Chelsea standard draws. So you know, and I think Spurs. I can't remember Spurs is such an all event, but we definitely win at least one of those games. Maybe we, we win, win a both. draw. We win both. There you go. You know. So is 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 that is that potentially where this issue is coming from? That it's a means the end. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think <clears throat> Jay's right. The system sort of leaves us a bit exposed if, if Robertson goes too high there, you know, and he probably should have the instinct by now to sort of know. But at the same time, you know, as you said, we, we don't necessarily know the instructions and it might be a failure of the person in front of or the player in front of, of Robbo uh, to do his job probably uh, as well. So we'll never... We'll never quite know. But I think a lot of these sort of gaps can be plugged and will be plugged when we when we have a when we have a an actual number six in there to cover across as well. Um and not someone who has to sort of adapt a little bit in their game to do that. Um so I mean that's that that was really the the crux of the matter. Um when we played against Chelsea, there was, and why we were so good sort of for, for half an hour. And I, I do sort of agree with you in a way that if we score there, we probably do go on and, and win the game. Um, although you never know because we've been throwing away two goal leads for fun as well. So that to say that we would have closed the game out and, and maybe caught them on the break. Yes. Two seasons ago, certainly. Um, now I'm not quite so convinced, and and the reason is we're we're too easy to get through. Um, the Robertson thing is is part of that. The 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 Trent hybrid thing is is part of it, and obviously uh, the lack of of legs and 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 uh, specialization at number six is is part of it, or uh, whatever you want to call it. But the lack of having that that actual proper stopper in there, that number six who who's gonna. You've got to break up attacks essentially at source and, and get us back on the ball. And there's too much of us not being able to do that and not get back on the ball. And the more we can do that, the higher up the pitch, the better. And that's what always worked for us. And it's no surprise that we have nosedived in the absence of that being done correctly, whether it was out of form players last season or not having them quite yet this season. So so that's the, the, the big thing. And hopefully we're making moves to um, to to sort that out. I believe we are, but um, you know that that's what's really gonna make the difference, I think, in there, um, and why we're gonna and and if we can manage to get that sorted, you'll see. Uh, I think we'll see a pretty much a transformation again to to being fairly unstoppable. And you're right, it, you know, we we have a pretty good record against big clubs, certainly as good as any of the other big clubs against the big clubs. Um, we lost too many games and actually lost them, not just not just drew, drew them last season against against what should have been cannon fodder for us. Uh, you and know, the key issue there is as well that this is where it's because we're not scoring goals, and that's kind of the point that I was trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not scoring goals, and that's happening for a number of reasons. We're not creating the same volume of chances. But again, one of the big reasons for that is we're not winning the ball back as often. We're not winning it as high up. 
therefore we're not getting those turnovers uh, where the, where and, and the transition moments where the opposition isn't set. So we're not creating them, but we're also not as ruthless in front of goal as we were at a point. You could have always criticised us for not quite being ruthless enough, but there was a point when we were far more clinical. And although we have an array of talent there, they need to they need to sort of be a little bit more dead eye at times. Um, and that's not just with the finishing; it's also with the, with the final ball decision making. We've already referenced one or two uh, today that came on on Sunday, which if they'd just taken a little bit more care, it would have been uh, you know would have been a different story. So there are there are a number of factors, but I think the big issue is with our with our defending is 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 not being able to turn the ball over quickly enough, high enough up the pitch, and. Uh, and then you, you couple that with not scoring enough goals. So you've got to beat those bottom 10 this year, home and away, as, as far as you can. And if you do, you're going to be in the mix because you're not suddenly going to collapse against the big teams. Uh, they, those, those are the games that kind of take, take care of themselves. Yeah, Andy, just a final word on, on Chelsea. Um, I, I don't know. I've, I found it strange... I think the Jota Gakpo thing is weird for me. I would nearly would have rather had it the other way, with with Gakpo playing through the middle and, and John left hand side. But again, you know what do I know? It's not what we saw in preseason. We know there was obviously a plan there, but you know he, he's very uninvolved. You know, minimal touches throughout his time in the pitch. It's not surprising that he's hooked because. For whatever reason, whether it's positionally and his unfamiliarity with that position, he's just not involved in the game. And you know, you would you would hope that that is essentially a stopgap, because I can't imagine that that is going to be something that we see too often in the future, unless Klopp's hand is really forced. I don't know if it was a stopgap or whether it was he couldn't make a call between Diaz and Jota. Because both of them had incredible preseasons, you know, Diaz ended up getting three goals. Looked, if we're a little bit concerned at the end of last season that he wasn't going to be the same player after his injury, he, he put all those fears to bed in preseason. You know, he was brilliant, and and Jota was just just so sharp in preseason, scoring goals as well. So I don't think he was able to make a call between those two because, I you know, I think he's more than happy to play Curtis Jones in the six in this game, and play McAllister and Sobosly if he was set with the front three. So. Either or, it, it didn't quite work. You're right, Gakpo. He does well in a couple of games in the eight last season, and then there are a couple of games where he's just like not involved enough for me. And you know the idea that it, when he's number nine, he drops deep, so therefore he can he can do the job from from being deep as a starting point. I don't think that I don't think that quite works. I think half is is uh, what he does well is is you know dropping and uh, confusing the midfielders and the centre halves. Do they know? You know, do they go with them or do they stay where they are? And it raises all those questions that Firmino always did. So, yeah, I mean, Diaz and, and Jota are, are, are two very, very different players. Diaz is, like, overstatedly brilliant and Jota's understatedly brilliant. And I think if Diaz is a poor game, you know, you're going to really, really notice it. His take-ons aren't going to work, his shots aren't going to work, his passes aren't going to work. Whereas if Jota has a poor game, you're you're, you're just kind of not really going to, gonna see him for the the 60 or 70 minutes he's on the pitch so yeah he's like technically Diaz is definitely a much better player so 
if the sort of intelligent movement and the the space isn't quite there for Jota, or he doesn't quite make that space for himself, then it's not really going to really come off for him. So yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too concerned. As I say, the setup behind him wasn't quite what we'd want it to be. You've got McAllister in a relatively unfamiliar position. You've got Gakpo in an unfamiliar position. Um, so you know the basis for him to perform well in that game wasn't quite there. The foundations weren't quite there. And I think in future, yeah, you do have to just go Gakpo down the middle, sell on the right, and and make a choice between Diaz and Jota. And you know it's 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 going to be very harsh in whichever one you drop. But that's the great thing about having four, possibly five, really really good forward players. Yeah, there's the chance it was a bit of a bit of a clop out from Klopp. Oh my God, I'm so funny. Um, all right, Jay, look, I think we'll move to like the, the current issue at hand. And to be honest, I'm kind of, I've kind of detached myself from the whole fucking transfer fiasco because to me, it feels like, do you ever, are you ever in that situation where your mates are like having this kind of like two or three of them are having this fallout because someone saw something stupid and then the other one gets upset and it, it gets to a point where I'm just kind of like, I'm done with this whole scene. Just let me know when it's all sorted out and then inevitably I'll have to deal with the fallout. But I'm quite happy to wait till then. And this is kind of how I feel on the whole transfer scenario. Um, we, we we're, we're not, we're not, we don't cover ourselves in glory here, do we? Um, Unlike Green Day, you don't want to be woken up when September ends, but when it begins, that race. I, yeah, do you know what? Because at the minute when September ends, it's not looking, it's looking about as fucking optimistic as that song. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I feel like we have got ourselves into this weird public psychodrama that is completely unnecessary. We abandoned the transfer that we had gone in in incremental bids for to try and hijack a move and in turn completely disenfranchising the boy that we wanted to sign initially to the point where he was just like, well, you can't want me out much, so I'm going to fuck off to Chelsea, it would appear. Um, and now we're kind of left in a position where it feels a little bit desperate. It feels a little bit um, reactive when we're so used to these things being done strategically behind the scenes. And it, it's unnerving me. Uh, I think we were we were saying like before we started, we were like, very rare these days that a transfer will happen without it being on social media just to the world we live in these days and evidence played out on, on social media or, you know, there's, there's no secrets really anymore. Um, but it is very bizarre how we got embroiled in that situation last week and, you know, to give my 10 pence worth wrapping it up quickly, there obviously was an indication that Caicedo was available. Um, you know, people have got all sorts of mad theories online and, you know, was it because of Mbappe and Madrid and Chiuameni being available or that, blah, blah, blah. But there must have been something there for us to bid and agree a fee with Brighton. And by the looks of it, we were played by the agents and, you know, 
the only the only one that really comes out of this a winner is probably like the agent bank balance and Brighton for getting more than what they originally wanted because I think the start of the window or roughly, you know, they were quoting like eighty odd million for Caicedo and they're suddenly walking away with one hundred and fifteen million and they'll probably invest that in about a dozen players and probably sell them on for ten times the value of whatever they buy them for. But it was odd. And then the whole Lavia thing, it, it's it's embarrassing. And I'm, I'm not surprised that the lad's gone to Chelsea in the end because, you know, if we genuinely wanted them, then we would have paid the money. And then if that bid was genuine of apparently we'd gone for 60 million, well, we just made a, a show of ourselves by underbidding for weeks and weeks and weeks and, you know, not getting near the value. If if we didn't value him at 50 million quid and Southampton weren't willing to budge on the first few bids that we made, Probably with Adam and they were getting the 50 and in the end they've got more. You know, we've just wasted time and we've looked at the game from Sunday and okay, it's a microcosm of what might be, but we clearly need a body in there of a more defensive-minded player. So, you know, what it's cost us is time and a bit of a PR nightmare, but I'm sure if we go out and sign somebody else and it's a shiny, you know, new player for... 60, 70 million in a week or so's time, everything will be forgotten about and it'll just be knuckled down and, you know, you'll get your wish then of transfers being put to bed eventually and we'll just concentrate on the football. But I think it just the, the environment of the world we live in now, like, you know, you're not picking up a newspaper on a morning and saying, oh, we're linked with player X and such a player is going to whatever club for how many million because... You know, you've not really heard about what's going on. Literally, a whisper can be heard somewhere and, you know, it's transported around the world in seconds. I've seen a, a report last night, you know, a fake account on Twitter with Anfield spot wrong, saying that Chelsea were in talks with this Andre Ladder Fluminense because, you know, it's the it's the funny thing to do to link any Liverpool targets to, say, Chelsea at Avenham. And it was a report then this morning breaking in Qatar that, Chelsea are buying this lad because, you know, a little bit of lazy journalism and a bit of a joke online can turn into an absolute snowball rolling downhill and people are losing their shit over it. So it, I can see where you're coming from. It's just a bit mental, but I think it's only going to get worse with, you know, the way the world is with social media and the whole hyperbole of having meltdowns over the smallest little thing. But I suppose that's where we are, aren't we? Yeah, it kind of is where we are, um, Chief. But something that is a bit more akin to the way we operate is that it looks like out of nowhere, um, we've just signed some lad from Stuttgart. Um, don't ask me to tell you what his name is. You hopefully will be able to do that. Um, but looks like a defensive midfielder who can also play centre-half. Statistically, you know comparable to maybe two or three other players that have played in that more reserved midfield position and yes he's he's sturdy as everybody's mentioned him but for what 15 15 million quid or something it feels like a bit of a it feels a little bit reactive but some, it also feels a little bit more what we are accustomed to by the way, Dave's name is Endo, which is basically yeah. just what we've had for the last 
12 years with a silent H. All right, <laughs> okay, fine. I can do that. Yeah, that's good. That's true. Thanks, true. I no. bet you love him, Jay. Look, if he can run round more than that lad and not just chase out endless balls, he'll do for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is a little bit more us in a way. Um, it's, you know, we're chatting there about it being almost impossible to, to keep uh, rumours off, off social media and so on. And you're absolutely right. But uh, this has sort of come out of the blue a little bit tonight. Um, and it seems that the deal is at the final stages and uh, the medical is set for tomorrow. So, yeah, uh, nobody saw it coming, I don't think. But it's, it could be shrewd. Um, a lot of experience. He can... He's a defensive midfielder and a, and a centre back, as you mentioned, he, and and not just one who's sort of played there ten times. You know, he's got a, a good spread over his career playing both positions. He's the, the the Japan international captain. He's been Stuttgart's captain. He sort of followed what is quite a typical path, it seems, coming out of Japan late and um, um, playing in Belgium and then in. Um, in Germany, um, he's pretty much well. He's been um, credited with keeping Stuttgart in the Bundesliga for the last two seasons. Um, and as someone who follows German football a little bit, and I certainly know that they've, they've been struggling. They've been in a relegation battle, having just come up from the, the second league um, three seasons ago. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, it's an, it's, it's an interesting one. It could, could be very shrewd, whether it's, whether it's cover, uh, whether it's more center back cover in the long run or, um, or, or more, um, it certainly comes with great pedigree and, um, a lot of sort of, a lot of high praise behind him. So We'll have to we'll have to see how he settles in, but he should be one, you know, sort of at that age and and um, with that experience that with a bit of luck you could just just drop in if you needed to. His injury record's very good as well. Um, no no major um, layoffs in the career so far. Um, played a full, played two full seasons in the last last two in the Bundesliga. So um, so yeah. Um, certainly bolster in the midfield um, and and defensive options, which is what we need. Uh, something a little bit surprising, and and I suppose to some after the the Caicedo madness, it'll be a little bit underwhelming. But it just could be a, a a very shrewd buy. You never know. Yeah, and he touches on on a good point there. Um, you know, the fee compared to what we were bidding for Caicedo. Um, given the profile of the player as well, you know, age-wise, etc., and you wouldn't expect that the wages are going to be anything close to significant. You can't imagine that this is this is the end game. You've you've got to think that there's going to be something else in there around, even if it's around about the 50, 60 million mark that's going to come into that area of the pitch. Yeah, it. I'm um, just having a quick look. It looks like his wages are only ten grand a week at Stuttgart, like so. Wages aren't going to be an issue at all. Um, obviously, I think like more or less everyone here. I, I, I've never seen him play, or if I have seen him play, I wasn't looking out for him because he he wasn't sticking out in my head for any reason. 
But you look at what people are saying on the internet, and people who watch German football actually think it could be quite a quite a shrewd sign for us. The stats seem to say that he he does loads of running. He's very energetic. He doesn't really misplace many passes, and he's quite good in the air as well for for someone who's only five foot ten. So he sounds sort of very Lucas to me based on the statistics. And I think as, as I was saying before the uh, before the podcast started, if you could get someone at at Lucas's level for a season, obviously Lucas at his best in that that second half of the season under Kenny, then you'd absolutely take that for 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 the number six position just for this season as a kind of stopgap. So. You know, we'll wait and see. He looks like he's coming in. Um, probably by the time this podcast goes out, he will actually have signed because it looks to be progressing really quickly. It's all agreed with the clubs. And uh, as you say, personal terms won't be an issue. So, listen, yeah, it's it's one of those where you always thought we we're going to try and do two. We know we've got $110 million in the bank because we bid that for Caicedo. This lad's only going to cost fifteen, So we should have about another $100 million to spend. Um you know, the problem is that every club knows we have that $100 million to spend and how that plays out in the market, I'm not sure. As I think Jay touched on, you know, we've we've shot ourselves in the foot with that, but we can't go back there now. Um, whether they feel like this Endo fella is enough until January when they could bring in the Andre fella from Fluminense, again, not sure. Not sure if that's enough either. It's... It's certainly, I think Chief uses the term underwhelming. It's certainly underwhelming given what's come before and what we thought we were signing. And I think after the Caicedo stuff, I think even Lavia would have been a bit underwhelming given how excited we all got about Caicedo. So to have this sort of 30-year-old, he's only played three seasons in the top flight. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. It is underwhelming, but I, I, I don't see how any transfer that comes in now won't be underwhelming given what's come before. So... You know, let's get behind him. Let's see what he can do. He could be a Gary McAllister or he could be an Arthur Mello. And all we can do is lash him in and and see what the crack is. You know, worst comes to the worst. He's absolutely dreadful. And, you know, we have to play McAllister there until Christmas where I think we only play, you know, 12 or 13 Premier League games. It's, it's very sort of stacked towards after January. So we can maybe see if we can do something there. But... Yeah, I'm with you, Dave. I'm just I'm just really sick of it all. I'm really bored of it all. I'm not getting excited by any rumours anymore. Um, even the ones that the the local journalists seem to be seem to be touting, you know, they seem to be throwing names out left, right, and centre. And none of them seem to come to fruition. So you just don't know what to believe. And yeah, I think I'm just gonna fall asleep and uh, see what happens on the thirty first of August and yeah, ultimately what can we do other than get behind the lads who who we do bring in? Yeah, fair enough. So look, we are we are where we are, Jay. Um, it's it's Bournemouth at three o'clock on Saturday. I'm reliably informed. Um, Correct. <laughs> yeah, they. By all accounts, they they impressed at the weekend against West Ham. Um, they might be the best and the worst thing for us because it looks like it looks like they're a side that sort of. Like to move the ball quickly, play forward, play through the lines, and expose the space in behind. But ultimately, there will be space in behind for us to expose. We know what happened Bournemouth last year at Anfield, um, but that was Scott Parker. Um, so 
yeah, I suppose. What do you expect? And have you got a? Do you think he'll go the same? Because I feel like that's. I feel like that eleven he played against Chelsea is probably ideal for this sort of game as opposed to what we saw on Sunday. Um, I I confess I didn't see any well match of the day on Saturday as it would have been. I'm not, I'm not sitting there watching ninety minutes of Bournemouth versus West Ham. Um, but I didn't see any. Uh, of it. Listen, I heard I heard one fella say they were quite good. That's all. <laughs> okay, well I'll take your word over that because I've not seen anything. And. I have heard they've made a couple of decent signings, if that's to be, you know, put out there. Players who I don't know, but apparently the the decent for Bournemouth. Um, so, yeah, um, home to you know a team of Bournemouth's caliber. With all due respect, we should be hammering them. Like I'm not expecting a nine 0 like last season, but you know we we put we should be putting them to bed pretty handily. Um, I expect the game to be over, you know, after 60, 65 minutes, and we can make a few changes. Will we see the same team? I don't think we will. Um, I think we'll see at least one change. Um, we don't know as of yet, as we record this on Wednesday nights, the severity, if anything, of Jostas' knock because he, he took a bit of a hefty challenge, um, which we've not just done referee and whatever, but. You know, he was shite at the weekend as usual. You know, a man Griffith, Anthony Taylor, giving us fuck all. Um, but yeah, some of their challenges were a bit meaty and a bit hefty. But you know, in 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 the referee's eyes, it's all fair game and let's play on. Um, but you know, if someone dares question the fella, is that a yellow card offence? Then the player who's been fouled gets yellow card, but the one who committed the foul doesn't. In the case of McAllister, um, but that's just me having a moan. Um, I think. Gakpo won't be employed in the field. I'd expect Jones to come back in. Um, and then, yeah, the decision is then, is it Gakpo or Jota? If if Jota's not 100%, then there is no point risking them. You, you've got Gakpo there. You've even got Darwin there if you want to use him. Um, but I'd expect the rest to be as it was. So, hopefully, you know, real football, in essence, Saturday 3 o'clock, a nice home win would all go down nicely for our first home game of the season. Um, you know, fingers crossed that's how it rolls. Yeah, that's all fair. Um, Chief, yes, we win this handsomely last last year, but um couple of players not mentioned there by Jay. I think Harvey Elliott comes on and, and does really, really well um on Sunday, I think. Um he does mention Nunez. I don't know. We have differing views on the big lad. Is there a chance you think these two two lads will feature from the start, given it's a home game against a side that will probably afford us a little bit more space than some teams or most teams than you expect will find themselves at the bottom end of the table come the end of the season? Uh, Harvey Elliott certainly could uh, find his way into the into the starting lineup potentially. Um, I think it depends what what way Klopp's approaching it. Um, given that we've got these four games sort of before the um, before the first international break, he often sort of just commits to a team for that almost, and you might see one or two changes here and there, but but nothing too major. Um, so potentially, potentially, but. 
I wouldn't be surprised at all if um, if the team is, uh, is sort of as as Jay said, basically uh, Jones coming in for for Gakpo uh, in the midfield and Gakpo coming in for Jota in the front three. Um, I don't think Jota played particularly well even before his, his knock. Um, it was just one of them. He had a great preseason, but he's just a, a little bit off it. And I think he set the tone for himself when he nicked that one off Sir Bosley's foot, which um, is one of them. If it flies in the top bin, it's it's grand. But if if you do that and uh, and, and put it wide like he did, then um, you know you're a little bit raging. I think as Sir Bosley there, despite him taking it in in good humour. Um, so potentially, I, I I would maybe agree with 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 Jay there on on a lineup. Um, I think he has very much decided that, and with the the array of attacking talent and the way Klopp likes to play, I think he has decided that for um, that um, Darwin's not in his in his start eleven. So I, I don't necessarily see that changing. I think. Um, you never know. It, it could because of injuries and because of performances in training, and you know maybe performances in Europe, which will come in and uh, in in the next few weeks and and begin to, you know, begin to have an impact on 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 the league lineups and and so on. But I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced that there are going to be big changes for for Bournemouth. I think we're going to see a fairly settled side. With maybe just one or one or two changes over the next few weeks, and they could potentially um, just be the ones that that Jay really mentioned there. Um, so we should we we should be Bournemouth comfortably. I I think we will. I think we'll um, we'll feel a lot better about ourselves once we get the first win on the board, and um, it's at home as well, isn't it? So um, you know we're always. Much better at Anfield, even even last season when we had an awful season, we were we were very good at home. Um, so you'd expect nothing other than than a victory, than three points. Um, and I think it's it is unfortunately, despite some of the fixtures we have in this first four, because of the way the summer's gone, it's it's very much a case of sort of strap in for these first four games and let's let's get to the end of the transfer window, let's get to the international break and and see where we are. Yeah, it's that 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 pretty much sums it up, Andy. It's it's a very strange one. Um, three points seem far more valuable at the start of the season. Um, if you drop three points or two points, like twenty games in, it's like oh, it's okay, it's a draw. All right, regroup next week. Blah blah blah. If you drop points like that at this stage of the season, it is a catastrophe. That's just the way it's viewed for whatever reason. Um, but it almost feels like we've put ourselves in a position now where you've probably got to win your next three. And it's got to start on it's got to start on Saturday. Yeah, the next three are, are Bournemouth home, Newcastle away and Villa home, and then you've got the international break. And obviously by the time the international break comes around, you, you know exactly what your squad is up until at least January. I'd look at the first three, Chelsea away, Bournemouth home, Newcastle away, and obviously you think that the two either side of Bournemouth are the ones you can drop points in, and Bournemouth's just the one that no matter what, no matter how good they're looking, no matter how good their new manager looks, you just have to get three points at Anfield. It's it's as simple as that, and I think that's 
that's the case whether we're in title race with City, which looks very unlikely at this point, where you have to win every single game more or less. You certainly need to beat Bournemouth at home. But even if you're just going for top four, you need to beat Bournemouth at home. Our rivals will beat Bournemouth at home almost, almost definitely. So that just needs to happen at this point. You know they've uh, they've got a new manager in who, who, by the sounds of things, is like a bit mad and and really attacking, and seems to be really highly rated. I don't know enough about him. I don't even know his first name. I think his surname's Iraola. But you would think, in theory, you know that the teams that come to Anfield and try and play a little bit, hopefully we'll be able to pick them off, and hopefully this new system where we're overloading it with attackers and you know it's two number 10s behind three attackers almost at times hopefully that really comes into play and hopefully they'll be licking their lips at, at getting a few goals as we did against any side we faced in in pre-season and obviously created chances against Chelsea as well so yeah in terms of the 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 uh the, the games coming up after that you know Newcastle away sort of you think if you're in a title race with City especially given that they only ever seem to falter at the start of a season and when they need to win sort of 10, 12, 11, 13 games in a row, um, that, that that they can do that later on. So, you know, draws at Chelsea and Newcastle and beating Bournemouth and Villa at home gives you eight points out of 12. It's not bad. But if that's when you need to be getting the march in City, then that's, uh, you know, then that's probably isn't good enough. So, to be honest, I, you know, I don't think we'll be in that conversation, but I don't want to write us off one game into the season either. So, you know, in terms of the team I played, stick with a, the same back five. I would um, I would probably go, I think, I think I'd go Jones and then McAllister and Sobosly. Um, and I'd go Diaz and, jo- uh, Diaz and Salah, either side of Gakpo through the middle. I think that's probably what I'd do for this game. I think if there's anyone that can't argue about being dropped after Chelsea, it is Jota. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can throw him back in. And I'm sure Jota will start at least one of the next three. But yeah, there's a little bit of debate. I don't know what people think about about Gakpo and against the bottom sides playing through the middle because he drops very, very deep, and um, you know that can be a good thing if you're 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 going to create chances, and maybe that'll be slightly different if you're if you've got McAllister and Sobosly just behind him. I know a lot of people would like to see Nunez, but it it just seems as though he doesn't he doesn't fancy him. He gave him his chance in preseason. He played him three or four games behind Salah. And then he comes out and he essentially says he can't defend from the front and that he's he's not following instructions. So, you know, I I am concerned for him. Um, same time, if he if he starts through the middle in this game, you you wouldn't be absolutely shocked. So, yeah, just just need to get a win. Don't care if it's nine nil again or if it's one nil. Just make sure that the the season isn't isn't finished after this game because if you do draw or lose this, you know, the next podcast will be pessimistic. <laughs> Trust me about that. Yeah, that that's that's yeah, so that's 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 absolutely fair. All right, listen lads, thanks for joining me. Um until next time. Up the like honestly just fucking win. Just win a game, Reds. <laughs>